Hi, everyone. You are listening to a special Radio Cherry Bomb miniseries called Hey, Hey, L.A. I'm your host, Carrie Diamond. I'm the founder and editor of Cherry Bomb Magazine, and each week I talk to the most interesting women in and around the world of food. For this miniseries, I interviewed three creatives putting their own mark on the Los Angeles culinary scene. This is the second of three interviews. Today, I'm chatting with Jen Harris, food columnist for the Los Angeles Times and one of the coolest people you will ever meet. If you need to know where and what to eat in Los Angeles, just check out what Jen is writing about or sharing on her social media. Jen was introduced to the region's food scene early on. Born in L.A., she grew up in Pasadena with a Chinese grandmother who babysat frequently and who loved nothing more than introducing her two young granddaughters to the local food scene. On her father's Russian-British-Jewish side, she had another food-focused grandmother, and both women were great cooks. While Jen's first love was food, she also realized at a young age that she enjoyed writing and was pretty good at it. She shares her food and journalism journeys on today's show and talks about some of the mentors she had along the way, including the legendary Jonathan Gold, the late L.A. Times restaurant critic. Stay tuned for my chat with Jen. Our Hey Hey L.A. miniseries is presented by Square. Millions of sellers across the globe trust Square to power their business. I have a feeling most of you have seen Square in action at farmers markets, bake shops, and cafes. But Square today is so much more than a payments company. Square is helping restaurant operators run nearly every part of their restaurants with powerful tech that keeps the front and back of house in sync. And that's all kinds of restaurants. Quick service, full service, fast casual, bars and breweries, even ghost kitchens. Square wants to give you the power to drive sales, streamline your kitchen, gain insights to help you make better decisions, and keep customers coming back with loyalty and marketing programs. If you need help and want to take your restaurant business to the next level, it's time to talk to a Square restaurant specialist to learn how Square can help you. Visit squareup.com forward slash restaurants to learn more. We'll share that link in our show notes. Get in touch with Square and get yourself out of the weeds. Again, that's squareup.com forward slash restaurants. Now, let's check in with today's guest. Jen Harris, welcome to Radio Cherry Bomb. Thank you for having me. We are going to start back in your childhood. I thought that would be a fun place to go because you you had an interesting childhood and it definitely put some of the pieces together as to why you're doing what you're doing today. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Pasadena. So all around Los Angeles. I was born in LA, first in Monterey Park when I was really little. And then we moved to Pasadena when I was seven, but all around the San Gabriel Valley, basically. So I grew up eating the best Asian food ever, all along Valley, Garvey, in San Gabriel, Arcadia, Monterey Park, Alhambra. My grandma still lives in Monterey Park. And we just spent so much time at the restaurants there, going to dim sum, having Chinese banquets. Just when my grandma would babysit us, which was often, we'd end up at the uh, Hong Kong style cafes. So your grandmother would babysit you? Yes. My grandmother would babysit my sister and I and take us to eat at all the Hong Kong style cafes along like Valley Boulevard and Atlantic that she loved. So we grew up eating rice porridge, you know, rice porridge and, and chow mein and chow fun and cafe food, which is its own kind of genre. I spent a lot of time there. And then so my mom's side of the family is Chinese. My dad's side of the family is Russian, British, Jewish. And both grandmas are great cooks and really into food. And both of them were babysitting us often 
both my parents work. So with my Chinese grandma, it was the best dumplings and noodles and dim sum all the time. And she's such a great cook. And she would make these like rice cakes that were delicious and these pork ribs. And then on my Jewish side, that grandma was also really into food, but it was more like she introduced us to Lipton onion dip, which is the best thing ever. My mom makes that for every holiday. I mean, I don't know why more people don't love this or they do and they're just not talking about it. I'm here to talk about it. So thank you, Grandma Phyllis, for introducing me to the Lipton onion dip. It's near and dear to my heart always. We always had like big deli platters and latkes, both sides of family. So, so into food, two radically different cultures. Uh, it was just really fun to get to experience both of that growing up. You're so lucky to have had that. I think so. <laughs> and I ate really well. I still eat well, but I ate really well growing up for sure. Did you cook as a little kid? I tried. I remember the first thing I ever cooked because it was terrible, but it smelled so good. So I just remember I liked the smell of onions, like cooking in butter. Both grandmas would cook stuff. And that's actually the secret to my grandma's fried rice is butter. But I just remember thinking like, I want to cook something for myself. I don't know what to cook. And I don't know where my mom was, but I was in the kitchen and I just took out the butter and some onions and I just put them in a pan, but I didn't know what else to do with it. I don't remember how old I was. I was very Did young. Did you cut up the onion as a little kid? No, I no. there was like bowls of cut up stuff in the fridge, like vegetables or whatever, just to make it easier for my mom to cook when she was cooking. So I kind of just was like, you know, I've seen her do this before. I just put it in a pan. I started heating up and I just ate like sauteed onions, which fine. But I was I was just I was getting there, I guess. So I was like, OK, so this is going to make something taste good. I would be in the kitchen with my mom asking her to show me things. My grandma, I was always in the kitchen with my grandma trying to ask her what to do, but she still does this. She doesn't measure anything like most grandmas. They just like are magical beings that know how to cook and can sense when something's done and how much to put in it and how long to cook something for. So I ended up, I'd be like, I'd grab her hand so I could see like, okay, how much of that are you like, and then try and measure it. And then she'd be like, well, it's going to be different. Next time I cook it, it sounds like she was messing with me. I got into cooking at a young age and I, and I still really like to do it. I just wish I had more time to. I know. Don't we all? Yeah. Wait, I got to go back to the onions and butter because okay. most kids, their first thing is, I don't know, like toast or a scrambled egg or yeah. fried egg or grilled cheese or something like that. But no, you onions and butter. Onions you went for and, it. Yeah, I went for it and didn't realize I needed to put more things in the pan. But it smelled so good. I was like, oh, I got it because it smells really good. And obviously you need more than that. But that yeah. is one of the world's great smells. Yeah. You get a little older. Writing becomes of interest to you. When did you start to realize you were a good writer? It was in middle school. I entered a writing contest in the fourth grade and I won. I liked writing, but I didn't think I could do that professionally. I just was like, this is fun for me to do. And then I won the writing contest. I was still really young, but I was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I can turn this into something. And then, you know, I would write for my yearbook or <laughs> school paper. In high school, I entered another literary contest and I won second place. And I was like, OK, I think I'm going to I'm going to stick with this. I loved reading. I loved magazines. I loved looking at magazines. I, when I was really young, I cut up a bunch of articles and pictures and then pasted them on pieces of paper and called it Jen's Mag. I, I mean, obviously had nothing to do with the content, but I just was like, oh, I'm I just love this. I, I've had subscriptions to magazines forever. My parents are avid readers of newspapers. They've had print subscriptions forever. Thank goodness. We need more people like them. They still get the paper every morning, multiple papers. So I just grew up around good reading and writing. Yeah, but I think it was after that first contest win that I was like, all right, 
This you could be hooked. something. Yeah. Were you like a sassy magazine reader or Jane? What was? Oh, I, I, everything. I used to, I mean, I'm still into fashion, but Vogue, I read Vogue nonstop. Yes to Jane, Cosmo when I got older, even though my mom still was like, <laughs> hide that from mom. Yeah, I had to hide it from mom for a while. No, and I remember saving up all my money. I don't know this is going to date me. When I was in like third, fourth grade, they had ordered books from like a pamphlet that came around at school. Oh, like I forgot. Scholastic, yes, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you sent in money. So yes. I remember saving my quarters Same. to buy books. And then I also remember that, you know, it was like lights out at like nine o'clock or 830 or whatever. But I remember I, I thought I was so smart. I saved up my money to get that reading light that you clipped to the book so that I could read like Goosebumps or whatever it was I was reading, Babysitter's Club, Past Ten. I just, I don't know why that came to me right now. but <laughs> No, I think we had similar childhoods yeah. in that respect. You were lucky to find some mentors at a young age. I read that there were actually some high school teachers who really encouraged you as a writer. Well, I went to Mayfield Senior School in Pasadena, which was a great school. But yeah, I had some fantastic English teachers. Jim Moran was one of them. I think he retired. I mean, I think he just retired from teaching, but he was so great. He was actually a really good editor, too. So when he'd give give your essays back and then he'd make really great line editing notes, like he was just it wasn't just like a grade. It was just like, actually, here's how you could have improved this or these pros were great. Jim was a frustrated copy editor. I mean, he was so fantastic. I think he really helped put me on this path to pursue writing full time. So you head to college. What do you study? I studied literary journalism at UC Irvine. So I was part of the first, that's actually why I went there. I was the first graduating class studying that. It was great. It was a really great program. It's drastically different now. It was a great program, but it was more about like writing pretty than reporting. So they actually didn't have any reporting classes. There was like a personal essay class and there was an arts criticism class and all of that was really great. And we were reading like Truman Capote and Joan Didion and it was really great. But there wasn't any like reporting. Not that you need to go to school for reporting, but I feel like you you do need to be required in your stories or whatever to actually go out and report. Someone um, has to teach you how to be a reporter. Yes. So mm-hmm. that's so that's actually why I ended up going to USC Annenberg for grad school for their two year program, and that was wild. That was the f- I mean I remember it was the first day of orientation. I think my class was like around sixty people, and you're in this auditorium, and they said, "All right, we're going on a field trip." So they broke us up into groups of six and they dropped us off at different points in LA out of a van and we're like all right come back with a story or pitch a story you know in a couple hours I ended up getting dropped off on Skid Row with five colleagues who are great but at the time we didn't know each other and we were just like okay but that's kind of how it was which is what I needed and what I and I'm so grateful but I had that because in my, what, almost 13 years at the Times, nothing has ever been that difficult. It's just like I was never in that situation again. And no matter what happened, breaking news or whatever, I was like, I can do this. Annenberg kicks your butt. And it was very good. And there were great professors. And, you know, that they had day of air packages where it was like, we're going to email you your story assignment at 6 a.m. You're going to go out and do whatever you need to do and file it by four or earlier or whatever. And those days just really, I was sweaty the entire day and stressed. But when you got it in, you're, but I'm telling you, nothing I've had to do in my professional career has compared to the day of air packages from USC Annenberg. <laughs> I never even knew the term air package. Video packages. So okay. you basically had to go out with your own camera and tripod. It used to be a three-pronged on-air and then written and online. So you did all three. Yeah, for the on-air packages, you have to go out, film your, so film your stand-up, get interviews with whoever you need to interview, 
write your own copy for your script, come back to the editing lab, put together your own package, edit it yourself using Avid News Cutter, and then file it. It was Damn. it was out of control. It was so nuts. what did you think you would do back then? Did you think you would go the broadcast route? I knew I wanted to write. I didn't mind. Vid- I wasn't mad at video. Like It was fine. And I was happy to do it. And it was great that they train you with all three. But no, I, I wanted to be a writer. Today, we know you for your food writing, but back then you wound up doing a variety of things. You even worked for a maritime publication. Oh, yeah. Okay. One was called Fish Wrap. So it was like a (laughs) fish wrap news magazine. So it was like all fishing stuff. And then the log newspaper was the maritime news. And then it was also a yacht magazine. So I worked for this publishing company in Orange County because in college, people are like, you have to get an internship. You're not going to get anywhere unless you get an internship. And I was like, all right, well, I want to do food writing. There aren't any internships that I could find. So I was like, I'm just going to get experience anywhere I can. It's called the Duncan Macintosh Publishing Company. And I interviewed with them and I told them, I was like, this is not exactly like the subject matter I love or that I'm super into, but I, I will learn about it. I'm a quick learner. And I was like, and I can do this. And so it, was, it ended up being great because they put me in charge of four sections of their newspaper. It was a really good experience. I did it for over a year and I'm really happy I did it. But it just taught me that the subject matter doesn't matter. A a good story is a good story. Reporting is reporting. It does not matter what your beat is. You can do it well regardless. Even if you're not, you don't have to be personally interested in it. You can still do it. That's great advice. Yeah. It's also amazing if you're an intern and you show some initiative and ownership, the responsibility you will be given. You might be shocked. Yes. Yes, And I was very happy. Yeah. They really were like, all right, if you want to do this, I was like, here's five things that you're not doing that I can do for you. They will let you do it. So it was great. So like you said, you didn't want to stay with that. You didn't want to become the yacht reporter, the fish. I love the title fish wrap. That's so funny. But you probably have a better appreciation for fisher folk out there after something like that. Yeah. So what do you do next? What do you do after that? So I ended up so after I or as soon as I graduated, I mean, I was working for the university newspaper, too. So doing like entertainment stuff for them, food stuff for them. And then right after I graduated, I got a job with an editorial press agency. It was called Cool Hunt. And I don't actually know if it's around anymore, but a bunch of international press would commission us to write stories about L.A. Nightclubs, restaurants, bars, hotels, anything lifestyle related. And so that's what I did for my year in between undergrad and grad school. Sounds like a dream job at that age. It was. It did not pay well. Dream jobs often don't pay well. They basically were like, yes, you'll get a byline. (laughs) It was like pennies. I was like, but I was so excited just to get the experience. Yeah. So I have articles in Cosmopolitan Hong Kong and Rayleigh China and Vogue Taiwan where it's all in another language, but then it says by Jen Harris. But I still got such a kick out of it. I loved it. After I did that, then I ended up in grad school. Shortly after grad school, I ended up at the L.A. Times, but not in the food section. There's a twist, folks. (laughs) Yeah. They only had an opening working on the digital side for our image section, which is great, which is fashion and then book review. I remember talking to my mom being like, Mom, I don't want to do fashion. This is not what I want to do. And she was like, just get your foot in the door and kick it open. She's like, it doesn't matter. She's like, just get into that newspaper and then you'll figure out a way to do what you want to do. And it was the best advice ever. And that's what I did. That's so. excellent advice. Did you know back then what you wanted to do or you oh, yeah. weren't? Sh- oh, you knew food. I knew food. I'd been wanting to do it for a while. And then when I was at USC in grad school, my classes also started something called Neon Tommy, which I don't think it's around anymore either. But it was like their first digital news publication. And so I was writing food stuff for them. 
restaurant stuff, cooking. Oh my God, I even had a really embarrassing dating column that I hope no one can find online. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Cherry Bomb subscriptions are back. Head to cherrybomb.com and learn how you can subscribe to the world's most beautiful food magazine. Cherry Bomb is a feast for the senses. It's printed on lush paper with gorgeous color photographs, great profiles and features, and recipes you'll love recreating at home. Get four issues each year delivered direct to your mailbox. Head to cherrybomb.com to learn more. Now, back to our guest. Who were your heroes back then? Who did you admire? What made you think that food was the path you wanted to take? I was a huge Jonathan Gold fan. Even before when he was writing music stuff, I just, for weekly, I thought he was just so fantastic and just so unique with his voice. I also was reading MFK Fisher. Oh, man. I actually really was into Jeffrey Steingarten because he was the restaurant critic for Vogue. And so I'd read his stuff all the time. Did you um, know Gail Simmons was his assistant for several years? I didn't know Gail Simmons was his assistant. I love that. But I read the LA Times food section religiously. So I was reading Russ Parsons, who ended up being my editor for a while. I was reading Gourmet Magazine. So Lori Ochoa Gold, who's now my boss. But I, it's really been great that I was reading these people and then getting to work with them. Felt and Ruth and, Reichel was at the LA yes, Times. And Ruth, oh, mm -hmm. I'm, oh, my God. I, I read Ruth religiously, too. I, I still think her um, newsletter she has now is really oh, great. great. Yeah. yeah. Labriff, am I yes. saying it wrong? Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, you're saying it correctly, I think. But yes, that's it. So I still read her all the time. But getting to actually like work with these people has been such a privilege, too. I feel very fortunate. And what was it about food? I mean, yes, you had all these great writers, but what was it about food in particular that you thought that was something you could put your own spin on? I mean, just because it was always such a big part of my life growing up and it was so valued by my entire family, I think it's such a fantastic way to get to know somebody. and. To be able to, I guess, consume a story, someone's story through their food or to be able to tell a story through food is like my preferred medium. And food is just the start of so many conversations. And it's such a great way to get into those conversations and to talk about so many things. So when I thought that I wanted to be a writer and be a storyteller, I was like, what better way than to write about people and places in a community through their food? So you wind up at this epic place but not in the department you want to be in. But you're in L.A. and you're writing about fashion and celebrity. Tell us what that was like. Oh, man, it was fun. I'm still into fashion. I like fashion. But it was this whole other, like, glamorous world. But I remember I would build out the news stories for, so I would do, like, the digital builds for stuff. I remember working with Booth Moore, who was our fashion critic at the time, who was incredible. She's so incredible. And she would be at the shows in New York or Paris or Milan or whatever fashion week it was. And she'd be on her Blackberry, it literally in the taxi on her way to the next show. And she would like text or email this incredible copy. And then it'd be up to me to be like, catch it, put it up, put the corresponding photos. And I just remember thinking like, this is so fantastic. Like this life is just so glamorous. I mean, I've never seen anyone work that hard or, or that fast and with that clean of copy than Booth Moore. She's amazing. But just like that world was just awesome. And getting to go to Coachella with a photographer and talk to people about what they're wearing and their fashion. And we also did this campus fashion thing where I worked with a photographer and he'd go to USC or UCLA and we'd talk to students about their fashion. I mean, we had celebrity fashion, but it wasn't regular content. So I remember I started this column called Frugal Fashion. 
where I would look at what celebrities were wearing and then tell you how to recreate it yourself for less, which I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> it was fun at the time. But no, it was wild getting to work in that section. And there's such talented people. Adam Shorn, who's actually Booth's husband, who's now on the canvas beat at the LA Times. So you, everyone should read his stuff. But he was the menswear writer at the time. And Melissa Maxese was there too doing beauty. And I just the team was so wonderful. It was really great to work with them. But I just thought, wow, how glamorous, you know, what a fantastic section and what amazing people to work with. But your mom was right. You got yes. your foot in the door yes. and you were able to kick it open. You did not give up on your dream of writing for the food section. Tell no. us how you got that job. Oh, wow. I bothered Russ Parsons, who used to be the food editor. But I just kind of bothered him and was like, hey, like, can I take you out to lunch? Or, you know, I have some story ideas. And he was probably like, who are you? It's like I sit over there around the corner in a different section. Um, oh, and there's nothing. I miss a newsroom. Right, right. And you can bother people in person. Yes, you can. It's so easy to make a difference when it's in person versus sending emails or DMs. Yeah, you just kind of get up. You just look, are in their face, not in a confrontational way. He agreed to, because I bothered him, to eat at the cafeteria downstairs with me. And so I, I remember I bought him, I think, like a turkey sandwich or something. And we we're talking and I just said, you know, I have all these ideas. I really want, want to write for food. He was like, OK, fine. I was like, if you have anything that you've been waiting for someone to cover or anything, like I'll do it. I'll do it on my own time, like on a weekly, you know, whatever for free. And he's like, all right, well, he's like, why don't she sent me to the Orange County Fair, basically, and was like, right about the fair food. I was like, OK, so I did that. I spent the day at the fair eating deep fried food. I filed something. He was like, okay. And then I started to get little pieces here and there. I was like, all right, well, here's five other ideas I have. And I kept pitching. And it was like when blogging was really big and we had a food blog called Daily Dish. And I was just like, all right, I can write these 10 things for Daily Dish. And he gave me a chance. And then when a full-time position in food opened up shortly after, I took it. So that's how I got in the food section from bothering someone and buying them a turkey sandwich. I love that. Yeah. Did they give you a beat? Or was your beat the whole city? My beat was get traffic. My beat was... Oh, get traffic. Write, yeah, Give me people write, read the yes, stories. Write yes, write whatever is going to get readers to click. So it was like while I was doing some restaurant news and some like spotlights on different chefs and trend pieces, it was also like all you got to do is chase traffic. So it was like while I was doing the stuff that I wanted to do, actually covering the LA food scene, it was like, OK, but I need to get this traffic number. So you also need to write about this new study that came out that says that Oreos are more addictive than cocaine. I literally, I it. it was kind of like this balancing act of what's going to yeah. get us these traffic goals, but also here are the stories that I actually want to write, mm -hmm. you know? And I did that for a couple of years working for strictly the blog. And it was, it was a grind. It was a lot. So you're there, even though you're having to write those stories, you're having fun? Oh, yeah. I having the best time. And the staff at the time, so it was Russ Parsons, Betty Halleck was the deputy editor who's now back as the deputy editor who's wonderful. And then Noelle Carter was running our test kitchen. And we had an actual test kitchen where we still test all the recipes for the paper now. But the test kitchen, we have a gorgeous kitchen at our new office in El Segundo. But back then, the kitchen was this like small thing where we did all the shoots and everything there. There were like four or five different finishes in the kitchen so that you could shoot. It would look like you were in like four or five different kitchens. And the, but the whole point was to test things so that the readers could try something that we, we just knew it was like a solid recipe. If you found it in the L.A. Times and it's still if you find it in the L.A. Times, we tested it and it works. It would be this thing where I was like, all right, Noel would say, OK, so this week we're testing grilled cheese. So 
we'd all eat grilled cheese on Thursday. And and then, you know, when once they test something, you all go in the kitchen and try it. We just felt like such a little family in the food section. Everyone was willing to work with you and mentor you, especially Betty. It just was a really great atmosphere to be in. Was Jonathan still alive? Yes. So he was at the Times until 2018. So I worked with him for four or five years. What was that like? Oh, he was the most generous with his time. My favorite thing was when he would come by my desk and just stand there and ask me, like, have you been to this restaurant or what did you think of this? Or he just was so lovely to talk to and just such a wealth of knowledge about not just food, everything. That man's brain, I mean, he was all the encyclopedias in one. It was so wonderful to get to talk to him. I remember, and he was just so kind also. So I remember my favorite memory with him is when he came by my desk and said, I want to eat with your grandma. And I said, okay, because Jonathan covered the San Gabriel Valley before anyone acknowledged what it was or anything there. And so, and he knew that that's where I was from and that my grandma lives there and that my grandma loves to go out to try new restaurants. And so I said, okay. So he set up a dinner with Jonathan and Lori, his wife, and me and my grandma and my uncle. And we're sitting there and he's telling my grandma, like, here, you order. I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. As I'm just sitting there, so like, wow, we're out to dinner with Jonathan and my grandma. And I'm like, oh my God, grandma, what are you going to say? And she's like, no, no, you order. And I was like, grandma, he brought you so you could order. So she was trying to be polite and then let him order some things. And then she ordered some things. And then she's getting more comfortable with him as dinner goes on. And then she decides she's going to tell him some of her favorite things. So she. So randomly, we're talking about something else. He's like, what do you think of this crab? And she's like, it's okay. My grandma loves to just say it's okay, even if she loves it. She just doesn't want to seem overly enthusiastic about things, which is hilarious. So Jonathan's talking about this crab. And she's like, you know what, Jonathan? I am going to tell you something. And he's like, yes, you would never admit this, but McDonald's has the best coffee. And I'm like, you know, because McDonald's is where she goes with her friends. They order like one hash brown and then six of them sit there at the McDonald's and they all drink the- He'll drink coffee. And anyway, it's a grandma Tina thing. But she's trying to and she's telling him this and she's trying to convince him. And she's convinced that he knows this, but that he won't admit it because he's such a big deal. And I'm just sitting there dying inside. He's holding out on all of Los Angeles. Yeah. And he just was like, oh, okay, you know, very good. So then we make it through dinner. And the next day he comes my desk. I'm like, oh, God. I was like, oh, God, is he going to mention the coffee? And you know what he said? He said, thank you so much. That was so wonderful. He He said, can we please do that again soon? I mean, I love I loved him so much. He was just the most amazing uh, person. So I love that the one thing your grandmother decides to go to the mat on is McDonald's coffee. Yes, the one thing. Classic. Ah, oh, she's so good. She's so great. Oh, <laughs> yeah. must have been so hard to lose Jonathan. It w- yes, it was awful. It was awful. It still stings. It will sting forever. It's, and not just for me. He meant so much to the entire city, to the entire country, just the food world. He changed so much in how he wrote and the voices and cuisines he gave a platform to. Not only did he change food media, I think he changed the restaurant world forever for the better. And I'll forever be grateful for that. Do you feel a sense of pressure being at the LA Times to have to live up to his legacy? I think that it always makes me want to be better. I think that it's this constant motivation to do better. I'm always just like, all right, he did so much for the city. Like, I think we all have a responsibility, not just for him, but just to the city to just do better and to just share the great food that we have here and uplift different voices. I thankfully don't review restaurants. <laughs> There's so much good out there. I'm happy to shine a spotlight on it every day. And also our restaurant critic, Bill, 
does it than any Bill Addison does it better than I think anyone. He's so great. But no, I don't I guess I look at it as a motivation to to do better and to do more and to find more great food. What is your exact beat today? My beat is everything. No, I mean, I really do have some freedom with the column, which is great. It started with my Instagram posts where I started just posting the best things I ate this week. And then it was like, hey, why don't we try that in like a column format? So I make at least two. We used to be make four or five recommendations a week, which was a lot. So it was like make at least two recommendations a week. Sometimes there's a theme, sometimes there isn't. And I, I love that freedom, or, you know, or like this week, you know, I was like, why don't I ask chat GPT what mm-hmm. to eat in Los Angeles? Or if it's Lunar New Year, you know, I'm going to write about the foods that I eat with my grandma for Lunar New Year. So my beat is kind of anything and everything food, restaurant, beverage Disney. Uh, related. Disney. Why is everyone obsessed with Disney food right now? I don't know if it's just right now. I feel like a lot of people, including us, came out with packages kind of around the same time. But I know Disney is constantly like trying to up their game with their food. And they just, I don't know if it just ended. I think it just ended. They had their like food and wine festival where they have special vendors making different things. Oh, wow. I didn't even know they see so much you could teach us. I didn't know about the pizza convention. Then you told me about that. I didn't know Disney has a wine and food festival. Yeah. Disney has a wine and food festival. Is it grown up focused? Is it is it kid friendly? I think it's kid friendly. I mean, it's designed for adults, too, just because they do have the wine aspect of it. But no, I think the food is fun for everyone. I think (laughs) it's a reason for adults to be excited to go to Disneyland with their kids. So it's not just for their kids. They don't have to look at it as I'm just wasting this day at Disneyland. They can they can get something out of it, too. Let's talk about the pizza convention before we talk about chat GPT, because Uh, I was like, there's a pizza convention. Yes. Every year in Vegas, there is a pizza expo. They take over. This year was pretty big. They're just coming back out of COVID. So there's more and more vendors coming now. But they take over part of the convention center in Vegas. And it's just rows and rows of booths of people showcasing it and it's food and other things so it's like different types of ovens for home kitchens or not and or it's like you know packaging and like uniform for your staff but and pos systems but then it's all kinds of people doing different flowers different toppings california dairy has three different areas it's just it's insanity and it's all pizza for three days and it's crazy and you eat a lot of pizza you learn about a lot of pizza they have different competitions too so there's like a pizza dough competition and then they i think they did like a new sandwich one this year and then an overall pizza competition so pizziolos from all over the world come and compete and showcase their stuff and it sounds like fun oh my god i love it i've been going for the past i don't know as many years as they had it i just i love it so much can it's billions go i think you can pay it's mostly for buyers and people who own businesses that have to do with pizza, pizza pros. and mm-hmm. media to, to go and just kind of see what's happening. But you can buy a pass. I think anyone can technically buy a pass. Okay. You told me, and I was shocked, that you ate some of the best pizza you've had in your whole life from this one pizza guy. Yes. So Francesco Martucci, who has a pizza restaurant in Caserta, Italy, one of the big oven companies flew him out to be at the expo and to just make pizza showcasing the oven. But lucky for us, because he's amazing. And so he made his signature pizza. So he combines multiple types of flour to get the texture and the flavor he wants. But then he steams the dough first. Then he deep fries it. Then he bakes it in the oven. So there's like a three-step process, each process doing something different to the texture and the flavor of the dough. And so what ends up happening is 
you get this dough that is so it look it's like puffy it's like on the thicker side and puffy and as soon as you bite into it it's crisp you get that crispness but then the dough just disappears into air it's like when you eat cotton candy and what happens to cotton candy in your mouth it's just kind of like disintegrates and then but then you get to the bottom there's like a tiny bit of chew from what you'd normally expect from pizza it was the best not just pizza like bread carbohydrate thing that I've ever had in my life. And I just I've been thinking about it since I was looking up. I was like, how do I get to Caserta, Italy to eat this again? The toppings, too, was like cherry tomatoes that he'd cooked down, which were so sweet and delicious. And then capers, oregano, anchovies and slivers of garlic. I had all these people comment. I, I ended up doing like an Instagram reel and I got all these comments being like, tell me you don't know anything about pizza without telling me you don't know anything about pizza because there's no cheese on it. Rude. Yeah, or, or fine. I mean, it's okay. Then it got people talking about it and just what people think. People basically think American pizza is pizza. But this, it was just, it was beyond amazing. And the toppings too was like salty and just, it really just popped. And I, I've i been obsessed You've with it ever since. You've got to get him to come to LA, do a pop-up or something. So I think he's going to so Daniele Uditi, who has the Pizzana restaurants, he's the one who grabbed me at the show and was like, you have to eat his pizza. Oh, right. And Candace Nelson is a partner yes. in those. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And so he was like, you have to eat this. So I'll be forever grateful to Daniele. But he said he's going to try and bring him here for like a one or two night collaboration dinner. So I Fun. will be first in line. How do you stay on top of everything? It's so hard. How do you just figure out the balance between what you stay on top of, what you cover, what you don't cover? I mean, I feel that too. I feel like that constant pressure that I put on myself that I know you put on yourself that everyone puts on themselves but I just I have a running list on my phone that really makes me sweaty where I'm just like looking and I'm like oh my god you missed this or this has been open for four or five months now and I'm not even scratching the surface of what there is to eat here I'm really trying and I'm, I'm out constantly like every single night multiple dinners but it's just it's imp- there's so much but that's a great thing I'm like I love that there's so much I just wish I was a little bit more. I, know. I, I wish there was another day of the week that I could get out more. But, or a um, second stomach. Yeah, exactly. Or a second stomach. But I think that it's important to just make sure I'm covering different neighborhoods, different types of cuisine. Like, I'll look a bit. OK, Jen, if you did a restaurant in Santa Monica this week, we're not covering Santa Monica for a while. Just to give different neighborhoods and pockets and different types of cuisine a chance. I feel like I have to be really mindful of that every single week. How could people get on your radar? I mean, I get press releases for things, but that's not normally how I find things. I feel like sometimes I'm just like, I'll spend the day in a neighborhood and see something or I'll just or talk to like a shop owner and ask them where they eat or I'll ask my friends or there's certain people that I know to look to on like Instagram who have great accounts who are always out. My colleague, Stephanie Brejo is fantastic and she writes our news column. So I often look to her to see what's new or what's coming or what just opened. She's such a great resource and everyone should check out her column. Literally all over the place. My my grandma and her friends. So my grandma's friends eat out constantly and they're always collecting takeout menus. My grandma gets really disappointed if a restaurant doesn't have a takeout menu. She kind of like writes them off like, well, how am I supposed to know? Like, how am I supposed to share who you are and what to order with my friends? They get takeout menus, they circle things and give them to me. So I, you know, they're my resource for the San Gabriel Valley. They're really great. I'm open to tips of all kinds. And some people will just Instagram, will DM me or email me and be like, hey, this new place opened up in my neighborhood or you wrote about this. And actually, I think this one's better. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go try it. Anyone who wants to give me a tip, please. And I'll take tips from everywhere. You also have taken tips from ChatGPT. As we said earlier, that was one of your recent columns. Tell us what you asked ChatGPT and what 
ChatGPT told you. Oh, so I asked ChatGPT, I said, I wanted to keep it broad. I wanted to give it a chance to like really show me what it could do. To dazzle you. Yes, to dazzle me. You know, it's writing music. It's doing all I'm hearing people say it's doing all kinds writing term papers. I'm like, okay, ChatGPT, let's see what you got. So I just typed in, just get things going. I said, I'm hungry, period. You know, where should I eat in Los Angeles? And it spit out its six answers. It's it said In and Out Burger, Earth Cafe, Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles, Apple Pan, Grand Central Market, and Cantor's Deli. And those are all really well known Los Angeles places. So it's probably my fault for not being more specific or asking specific cuisines. But it was interesting to me that if I just left it open, like, what do I eat in LA? It was just like, well, it acted like Yelp. I hopefully don't think it'll put me out of a job anytime soon, but <laughs> we'll see. There's a new version coming out, so I don't know. And it was just funny. That's what it spit out. But it was fun for me to have been familiar with all of these places. And then I asked for each one, what do I order at X place? Uh, and then I just took the first food item it gave me. Again, none of these dishes were foreign to me, but it was so interesting to taste what Los Angeles has to offer through the eyes or screen of whatever you want to call it of chat GPT. So you'll change the prompt next time. I will, I will get very, you have to be very specific with it and then it gets better. Jen, if people want to follow you, read your writing, how could they tell them all the truth? We didn't even talk about your videos yet. We ran out of time for that. Oh, You've got like... some great videos on YouTube. Best fried chicken in Los Angeles, yes. best dumplings in Los Angeles. But tell us how people can interact with everything you put out there. Yeah. So you can find everything on latimes.com slash food. If you just click on my name on my author photo, you can get every story I've ever written at times and all the videos. And then, yeah, on YouTube, youtube.com slash LA Times Food, where you can see all the different series that I work on, the bucket list, what we're into, some fun stuff. But most of the stuff, if you want to follow what I'm eating in real time, is Instagram at Jen underscore Harris underscore. Any newsletters people can subscribe to? We have two newsletters for food. I've guest written them a couple times, but Tasting Notes, which Bill Addison does, is fantastic, who's our restaurant critic. And then Bem Mims does a, a cooking newsletter as well. So you can subscribe to those too. Speed round. Coffee or tea in the morning? Tea. Tea? Yeah. What kind? I drink a Sencha, like green, green tea. You shook your head like no coffee. Oh, I don't drink coffee. Never. You don't drink any coffee. I've never okay. been a coffee drinker. Yeah. Okay. Only tea. Yeah. Interesting. Treasured cookbook or food memoir? Just a book you love. Ooh, um, Save Me the Plums, Ruth Reichel. Yeah. Great one. Song that makes you smile. Anything by Maggie Rogers makes me smile. Since we're in Los Angeles, what are you streaming these days? I mean, other than Ted Lasso, I'm like everyone else and I love that show. I also just started watching Slow Horses. It, it's on Apple TV Plus. It's like a quirky British like spy show with Gary Oldman, who is fantastic. So. Favorite kitchen implement? Can my tea kettle be a thing? Okay, tea kettle. That might Electric be a tea kettle. radio cherry bomb first, but I love that. Okay. Do you have a brand you like? I just bought the one off Amazon. I'm so sorry. It's the Amazon <laughs> Basics one. I But it's the one thing in my kitchen that I use every day, multiple times a day. I, I drink a lot of tea. Is there a motto or mantra that gets you through the day? Maybe something my mom told me, which was when I was having a hard time and she was like, nothing lasts forever. And I know that could be seen in like a negative light, but it was a positive thing where I was like, you can get through anything. You can get through this. It's not going to last forever. You can get through it. So maybe that. All right. Last question. If you had to be trapped on a desert island okay. with one food celebrity, who would it be and why? Well, I think that Jazz sings Sinong from Jitlada in L.A. is a celebrity. She's on the Food Network all the time. I would want to be trapped with her. She's extremely resourceful. And 
fun to be and lovely to be around and just like scrappy and a great cook. So I feel like she would be the best company. So jazz it is. Yes, jazz. Oh, well, Jen, thank you so much. It's been so great being in L.A., checking out all the restaurants, following your recommendations and just getting to know you better. Thank you. This was so fun. That's it for today's show. Thank you so much to Jen for joining us. If you missed the first episode of our Hey Hey LA miniseries presented by Square, be sure to go back and check out my interview with Bricia Lopez of Gelaguetza Restaurant and the brand new Asada cookbook. Bricia is a force of nature. And next Wednesday, our final miniseries episode with Chef Naisha Arrington, who I would like to one day be my life coach. Don't miss it. Be sure to sign up for the Cherry Bomb newsletter over at cherrybomb.com so you can stay on top of all Cherry Bomb happenings, pods, and events. Radio Cherry Bomb is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. Our theme song is by the band Tra La La. Thank you to Joseph Hazen, studio engineer for Newsstand Studios at Rockefeller Center. Our producer is Catherine Baker. Happy belated birthday, Catherine. And our associate producer is Jenna Sadu. And thanks to you for listening. You're the bomb. <laughs>